Good morning, church. Uh, I said it before, I'll say it again, that truly was the invitation. <laughs> but um, our invitation to worship this morning is adapted from the speech Dr. King gave on March 25th, 1965, after the Selma to Montgomery March. We'll read it together. I'll read, I'll lead house left. And I'll lead and read house right. <laughs> Join with me. I know you are asking today how long it will take. Somebody's asking how long will prejudice blind the visions of humankind, cloud their understanding, and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne. Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lie prostrate on the streets of the communities all over the South? be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of humanity. Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from weary souls with chains of fear and manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth bear it I come to say to you this morning, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. Because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And together, let, let us worship our peace-loving, justice-working, way-making, history-altering, revolution-causing God. Amen. Congregation, you would stand for our opening hymn, Jesus, the Light of the World.
you may be seated. As the choir is finding their seats, I'll invite our young people and anyone who's feeling extra young at heart today to come on to the podium for the message for all ages. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I think we have a magic blanket coming. Yep. Ooh, I like your necklace. <laughs> you good? Let's let Elise up so we can get the blanket down. Hi, Gabrielle. Hello. All right. How is everyone? There's room for everyone. That's your little mini sermon. Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm so happy to get to speak to you all today on this second Sunday of Black History Month. Now, I am not black, am I? No. Nope, I am pretty white. <laughs> but here at Middle, we know that this work that we call the work of anti-racism takes every single one of us. So that's why even me, as a white person today, are speaking, am speaking to you. This work that we are called to, this work that God wants us to do, takes you too. Even in your three-year-old self, in your five-year-old self, Teddy, yep, in your four-year-old self, it takes all of us to do this work that God calls us to. Now, I want to tell you something. Hey, Bianca. Some of you may have heard this before, and some of you may be hearing it for the first time. But I want to tell you that the way that people in this country are treated is not equal. That's the truth. The truth is that people that have white skin like me have access to more power and health services and privileges and opportunity than people with brown and black and different shades of skin. Now, I don't love that. Do you love that? But that's the truth. And this is often called racism, and it is perpetuated and continued by something called white supremacy. Racism and white supremacy are big, like this. Let me see how big. So big that someone named Dr. Tatum once compared them to smog. Do you know what I mean when I say smog? Smog is if you were outside and there was something all around you, it was hard to see. It's hard to breathe sometimes, and that is like racism is in this country. But I have good news. God has given and called each of us to have a special power so that we can live in this world that is full of white supremacy and racism. Do you want to know what that special power is? You don't want to know, Eleanor? Are you? Okay, okay, just making sure. It's a special power. It is a super-powered cape that all of us have, and it is a cape of bravery. And I want to tell you what this cape of bravery can do. It can allow you to ask questions when you see something that you don't feel is quite right. You might say, um, with your brave cape on, um, teacher, I noticed that you're only telling the kids in class who have black skin to be quiet or to calm down. And that doesn't feel right. Your brave cape also lets you ask questions and say things to your dads. You might say, hey, dads, when we were reading this book, I noticed that all the characters were white. What's up with that? 
Your brave cape can always be used. It is always on you, and it's up to you to decide when to activate it. How does that feel? At middle, we know that our job is helping you know how to use that cape. And I'm committed to learning when and how to use my cape and to wearing it always. Do you want to be committed to that too? All right. Let's stand and pray. Dear God, Dear God, thank you for making me beautiful. My skin, whatever color it is, is beautiful. God, we recognize that there is racism in the world, but that we can be brave. Amen. All right, we're going to sing Sing Have a good day. <laughs> How are you, middle family? Um, I missed you. I'm Jackie. Uh, I really am so glad to be home. Um, if you're visiting here for the first time, my name is Jackie, and I'm uh, welcoming you on behalf of all of our family. We're so glad you'd come and spend this morning with us. If you are here for the first time, would you raise your hand so we can greet you? Yay! Excellent! Keep your hands up. I'm just going to pop and ask where you're from. Where are you from? Harlem. Yay. Where are you from? Health Kitchen. Woo. Where are you from? Long Island. Yay. Where are you from? Jersey City. Excellent. Where are you from? Harlem. Oh, good. Where are you from? Atlanta. Atlanta. Excellent. Where are you from? Chicago. Me too. Me all see. Wonderful. Where are you from? Friends? Oh, bienvenue. Where are you from? Students from Princeton in the house. Excellent. Who did I miss? Okay. So good to think of all the places that we're from. Let's wave to the people who are uh, online. Hello, everyone. We're so glad to see you. We're glad you're with us. Uh, it is the second Sunday in Black History Month. We have lots of things happening. Um, one thing I'd like you to know about that, that we are trying to celebrate Black History Month this year, uh, noticing not only the past, but also the, the present, um, black, blackness in the presence. So today we have a class on racial identity development. Um, I'll be teaching that in here at 1.30. And just to say why, you know, race is a social construct, but racism is real. And so it's really important to have a conversation about what is what and how. So we'll define some terms, we'll do some talking about how we think we get to be raced, 
and then we'll be um, trying to make an application to Congregational Life. So come hang out with me. I would love to be in the room with you at 1.30. Right after that, there's a free Black Gotham walking tour that our friends at the Middle Project have arranged to have happen. I don't know if there's still space for that, but I'm just going to look at Ben. He's saying, yep. And um, if you would like to go, they're meeting um, to leave uh, in the lobby or over there at, at 3 o'clock. Is that right? Okay, excellent. Day Against Hate training at Middle Church on Thursday, 2.13. On the way into Valentine's Day, we want to be thinking about how to make love everywhere. So we've got some um, anti-violence project trainers that will be here from 3.30 to 5.30 uh, to do a training on that. And then on the 16th, Vote Common Good. Um, these are our partners uh, in the Revolutionary Love Conference. They are Progressive Christians who are trying to do something about making America just for the very first time, maybe, but not tired. Yeah, that good time. I got you back. That um, not worrying so much about blue and red, but about what is the what is the good that we can all rally around. So it's going to be a wonderful worship celebration that morning with me and Doug Paget preaching, and then in the afternoon, five o'clock to seven, a rally. It's one part revival and another part voter education. So I hope that you'll come and do that. Finally, not finally, but semi-finally, uh, there's a middle retreat on uh, February 29 that our deacons and elders are planning for you. We decided to do the retreat here this year so more of us could come. So it's on the 29th, um, and that's on the website. Tickets are available there. Child care will be available. So come take, a, take time out and be with us in retreat. And I want to introduce you to Ben Perry. Ben... Um, we, we poached Ben. Uh, ben, <laughs> ben is doing a wonderful job at Union Theological Seminary um, doing media and, and communications and did some interim work for us and now has joined our team full time. He is, he is Christina Fleming and Ness Martinez mashed together in one beautiful body. Will you stand, Ben, and say hi? <laughs> Ben is doing an excellent job already as Minister of Outreach and Media Strategy. We're so glad you're here. Um, and just to say, uh, I know you all are following Christina Fleming, our beautiful Christina online. Her dad is definitely in, a, in the kind of transitioning time. So Christina has taken a time out from seminary as well. Uh, she's still on staff here. We're supporting her that way. Um, and we don't know if she'll be returning. Um, she thinks likely not that she'll um, end up going to full-time seminary after dad transitions. But I just want to make sure that we say her name and say his name and love on her who is our heart and is, is beating uh, in Michigan with her family. So just holding Christina in our thoughts as we move into a time of prayer together. Um, yeah. I, I was in Paris last week and I was there to work. I preached three times at the American church and then did a lecture. I got to stand in the pulpit where Dr. King preached and I got to give a lecture in a hall where, um, uh, where Alice Walker and Toni Morrison and James Baldwin gave lectures. And I got sick, because why wouldn't you? In the air, uh, everywhere, on planes and trains and automobiles. But I think almost more than anything else, there's a kind of heart sick looking across the pond and hearing the news this week, so many things. You make a list and you feel like, oh my gosh, like from the, you know, from the shooting in Thailand to um, all the things in the Middle East, 
to our own internal politics that are just funky is the word I would use and um, heartbreaking. So that's what I've got with me today is heartbreak around what feels like blatant injustice and untruth and the things that are falling off the news, like our people that are still on the border who still can't get in, who are still separated from their families, right? The Supreme Court passes, affirms a law that will keep poor people from getting green cards. This is not what I dream about for our country or for our world. And I'm just imagining our young people who have less resources and whose hearts are more tender. So if your heart is feeling tender, I'm, I'm feeling you. And um, I know you're feeling me too. And I wanna take us into a time of prayer holding both the kind of tough geopolitical stuff, also then each of us, just our transitions, how busy work is, our losses, right? And God is God still right now. So that's complex. Let's see if we can hold all of that as we pray. Every now and then, God, we are praying. And words might even fail us. We don't know what to ask for. And your word tells us that when we're stuck, your spirit actually prays for us in size too deep for words. So listen to your people sighing. We're sighing about Puerto Rico. We're sighing about people languishing in jail, and we're sighing about separated families. And sighing about the planet. Sighing about news that assaults us hurts our feelings. And we want you to comfort us, God, exactly where we are. Each of us, touch us where we hurt. You know where we hurt.
we don't want to have to pretend in front of you, God, because you already know all the things. But we do want to ask you to help us to be brave. Brave enough to cry, brave enough to stand up, brave enough to coalesce, brave enough to build coalitions, brave enough to forgive, brave enough to build bridges, brave enough to stand up for each other and our little people. And then we ask that you would meet each of us where we need your help. Hurting bodies, sick parents, wayward kids, demanding bosses. Not enough time, not enough. Remind us that we are more than enough in you. And we will be sure to give you the praise because your faithfulness is everything. It's everything. It's everything. Your mercy's new every morning. And for this we give you thanks. Amen. Will you stand with me, beautiful, amazing people of God? And if you're sick, you know, touch elbows. Uh, I'm gonna touch. I'm gonna touch your hands because I took my antibiotic. I'm good. Um, here we continue to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the way we know it, the way we learned it the way it's most comfortable to us. Ever-loving and holy God. You sound like a choir. That's awesome. God's peace is a gift to give to one another. I ask that you would greet your neighbor in peace and say hello to someone you don't know. Peace be with you, middle family.
Good morning, Middle. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 7 through 10. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Middle Church. My name is Vanessa Lindley. I'm an intern here. I'm actually a second year student at Union Theological Seminary. So this is my first public sermon, but my family and friends know I've been preaching for a long time. <laughs> I want to acknowledge my husband, Marcos, and my children, Madison, Kennedy, and Chloe. Woo! My cousin Bridget, who's been coming here every Sunday since I started, and all my friends and family that came out to support me today, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And for everyone who's watching online who couldn't make it here today. So the title of my sermon is The Economic Resurrection. But before we begin, let us pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together on this day to celebrate the lives of descendants of enslaved Africans that have overcome insurmountable odds and who have persevered in the face of oppression. We will call and God will answer, here I am. Let us ponder what it means for us to answer each other and say, here I am to be the hands and feet of God. Amen. Amen. In celebration of Black History Month, I chose this section of Isaiah because it was a call to repentance and a promise of restoration, which is connected to my call for this economic resurrection. When this text was written, it was the Persian period of restoration in Jerusalem. Israel was conquered and then they were sent back home. The questions that they were asking God indicated a time of distress, even while things were being restored. God's response was a call for moral action to, do, to accompany the holy, holy ritual of fasting. So God wanted people not to just focus on the religious side of things, but he wanted people to do their part, to loose the chains of injustice. Like the Israelites, African-Americans continue to make gains here in America, and yet we are still in distress. The U.S. leads infant death mortality, and African Americans have the highest rate. We imprison more people than any other country in the world, and a disproportionate number of black men and women. We have an unjust healthcare system where everyone profits when someone gets sick. 
There's a lack of affordable housing and poor quality education in predominantly black schools. And Flint still does not have clean water. Then there's the racial and gender economic gap. And if you're a black woman, that's the intersection where we live. The median black wages are 73% of white wages. A white high school graduate has more wealth than a college-educated black person. A single black woman has one cent of wealth for every dollar that a single white woman has. White men's wealth are about $30,000, while black men's wealth is about $300. Some of these numbers almost sound like three-fifths, the way we were once counted as humans. Do you know it would take 228 years to close this gap? after we spent 400 years building this country? We need an economic resurrection. The culture of capitalism has become this country's guiding principle, not God's love. Monetizing has superseded morals, and profits have been chosen over people. Racism and sexism are the idolatrous religion, with the effects leaving black Americans, and black women in particular, at the bottom of the economic ladder. We need an economic resurrection. Black History Month began in 1926, and it was the brainchild of the Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson, whose professor told him black, black people don't have a history. Yeah, he did, at Harvard, yeah. A famous quote from Woodson was, this assumption of Negro leadership in the ghetto then must not be confined to matters of religion, education, and social uplift. It must deal with such fundamental forces in life that make these things possible. He was calling for moral action against injustice the same way that, Isaiah, it, that we heard about in Isaiah. So why would I call this sermon the economic resurrection? Because black people are dying. And it's because of economic violence that is rooted in greed, systemic racism, and capitalism. How do we get here? Slavery, Jim Crow, Reaganomics, redlining? Why does my house in an all-black neighborhood with higher incomes worth less than the house in the white neighborhood next door today in 2020? The reason we rehearse our history is so we don't repeat it. Historically, blacks have attempted to begin their own economies, and whites have come in to destroy it. Did y'all hear, do y'all know about the Red Summer of 1919, when hundreds of African-American men, women, and children were burned alive, shot, lynched, or beaten to death by white mobs in the North and the South, in New York as well, Syracuse to be exact. The reason, black men, the reason was black men were returning from World War I, and African-Americans were moving north to escape Jim Crow, and the whites saw them as competition for jobs, homes, and political power. So they killed them. In 1921, the Tulsa race riot, also known as the Black Wall Street Massacre, has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. Because this is American history, it's not just black history. We know that. The attack carried out on ground and from private aircraft and destroyed more than 35 square blocks of the district. At the time, this was the wealthiest black community in the United States. An estimated 300 people were killed in two days. Racial and economic violence. Let's fast forward to 2020. A black man won a discrimination lawsuit against his employer. He went to a bank to cash the check. 
They called the police, said it was fraud. I mean, really? Racial and economic violence. Nonetheless, blacks have had many individual financial successes with stories like Madam C.J. Walker. She was the first self-made black female millionaire. Ironically, she, she obtained her wealth from black hair care products. And almost 120 years later, states still have to pass a law called the Crown Act to ensure that black women aren't discriminated against in the workplace because of how we wear our hair. This is directly correlated to the wealth gap and the pay gap. In the words of James Baldwin, your crown has already been paid for. All you have to do is put it on. Yeah. We need an economic resurrection. Let me tell you a story about Leonard Stephen Andrew Wilson. He was a young, brilliant young writer, poet, and artist. Have you ever heard of him? Probably not. He's serving 25 years to life in Sing Sing Correctional Facility. What happened? He grew up barely knowing his father, and when he was about 10 years old, his mother became addicted to crack cocaine. And we can thank the great Ronald Reagan for that. In the 1980s, Reagan knowingly allowed crack to enter black communities to support the anti-communist Nicaraguan Contra. This was confirmed by the FBI, but the evidence didn't matter. Sound familiar? Being left to fend for himself, Leonard, Stephen as we call him, did not get to finish school, was hungry and homeless, and the drug dealers in his neighborhood were the ones who took him in, fed him, and gave him a job. He said the first time he went to the dentist was when he went to Rikers Island at 18 years old. While America was attempting to win the Cold War in Europe, they left this child and many other black children out in the cold. Leonard is now 46 years old, nearing his release. And last week, a prison guard allowed another prisoner in his cell to attack him, knocking out his two front teeth. The irony. Nonetheless, he wrote me a letter the other day, and his words were, don't forget, don't for one minute think that I do not take full responsibility for my past actions. And even though I'm hurting, I will not choose a path of bitterness or nor one of hopelessness. Leonard Stephen is my cousin, and he gives me hope. He's just one example of this poverty-to-prison pipeline. To be poor and black in America is a death sentence. You will not get quality health care, schools, and housing, and you may be fast-tracked into prison. We need an economic resurrection. Coming back to capitalism, which is rooted in white supremacy, as our great Amanda was teaching us, and breeds this systemic oppression. Capitalism is the material conditions that disunite people and set them at odds with nature. Our obsession with status and things has caused us to become physically ill, mentally depressed, and live with chronic illness. We have a spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger that's being substituted by materialism and capitalism. Some of us may be blind to the effects of these things because we've achieved a certain amount of financial success. We may feel comfortable. But somebody in this church can't pay their rent and don't know where they're, how they're going to make it to their next paycheck. If we walk out this door, we will see homeless people sleeping on the streets. Let's not be fooled. The middle class is shrinking. The rich is getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. 
What we have here is temporal. It's all temporary. If the economic resurrection is going to happen, the racist, oppressive system has to die, and a new system has to come to life. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the consummations of his earthly ministry with the poor and the oppressed. That's who he served. His resurrection is the disclosure, the revelation that God is not defeated by oppression, but transforms it into the possibility of freedom. Jesus lived as an oppressed person. Y'all know that, right? He was not very popular. But he was resurrected. And we can be too, here on earth. We have to be the countervailing power. We have to be the one offset the institu institutional power. We have collective power. And as Jackie's email title this week said, we got hella power. <laughs> I see the resurrection as a revolution. So what can we do? According to the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' resurrection, many of those previously dead came out of their tombs and entered Jerusalem, where they appeared to many. They arose and, be, and were able to bear witness. They were witnesses. I see that vision for us. But it will take a movement like Jesus modeled. It will take action. It will take commitment. It will take sacrifice. It's time to rise up. We can do what Jesus did. Jesus was a revolutionary and an epitome of revolutionary love. And he got involved in economics. He fed the masses with two fish and five loaves. Sounds like my two grandmothers, yes. He flipped over the table of the tax collector, not only because they were doing business on the Sabbath like most people think, but they were taking advantage of the poor and he did not like that. The Lord's Prayer that we pray every week, that we pray this morning, was and is a call for economic justice. Think about it. Give us this day our daily bread. People were hungry. And forgive our debts. The people were abusing them with debts. People were enslaved because of debts. Jesus was a revolutionary. If you looked at the stained glass window to my right, and the people online, just imagine, it's Jesus in brown skin. He was a Middle Easterner, right? Yes. yes. You will see the picture of Jesus on resurrection morning. Let's imagine what the resurrection could look like, the economic resurrection. I see it as fair and equal pay for equal work. I see it as safe and affordable homes for all. I see it as education and quality education for all. I see it as clean water and quality food for all. How will we restore and repair? Reparations? That's a good word. We need economic resurrection. Remember, injustice against one is injustice against all. The late theologian James Cone said, sympathy does not change the structures of injustice. We need reconciliation, we need restoration, we need reparations, and we need a revolution. We can all be a, a voice for change. We can, in any way that we can. What we can do is speak up against racist policies at work. We can vote against racist policies. We can vote against racists, period. Yeah. 
I read a post on social media that referenced the parable of the choir. And you know we got an amazing choir here at Middle. Ow, right? It said, a choir can sing a beautiful note impossibly long because singers can individually drop out and catch a breath and the note goes on. That's how social active, activism should be. I'm thankful for allies like all the family here at Middle Church, like Joaquin Phoenix, who spoke out at the BAFTA Awards, acknowledging that we don't want handouts or preferential treatment. We want to be acknowledged, appreciated, and respected for our work. And I'm going to add, paid equitably. He admitted he had, he had not done all he could to ensure that the sets that he worked on were inclusive. He also said, I think it's more than just having sets that are multicultural. We have to do the really hard work to truly understand systemic racism. He also said, I think it is the obligation of the people that have created and perpetuate and benefit from a system of oppression to be the ones to dismantle it. It was a call to action. Auntie Ruby Sales says, we need a change of values in how we see each other. We have to heal, we have to continue to heal, or we will continue to harm each other. We need a revolution of values. Remember the opening scripture in Isaiah 58, chapter 9, verse 9? Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression. As a coach, I would ask, what will you do? I'm thankful to be a member of Middle Collegiate Church who has been intentional in disrupting discrimination. Middle has declared that black lives mattered. That was bold. They face racism head on with book readings on white fragility and how to be an anti-racist. They host voters registration drives and ongoing and the great annual Revolutionary Love Conference which is one of the things that drew me to this church. Being in this community lets me know that change is possible. Love is possible. And the time for revolution is now. Will you say, here I am? Here I am. Here I am. Amen. Thank you. Vanessa and thank you. <laughs> Good morning middle. My name is Danita Branham. Um, I've been here a little while, uh, not as long as some, some in the congregation at the moment, uh, but I have been here a lot longer than many of you. And although Vanessa gave us a pretty a uh, dire situation to take under consideration. I'd just like to share with you a little bit about what we've done here at Middle. In Jackie's time, we've gone from 400 members to 1,300 members. 
resulting in two worship celebrations and an online live streaming. In order to host everybody, wish we had more space. <laughs> We've also, uh, we were known for our Pride March uh, in, in June during Pride Month, but now we are in the streets all day, all night, up and down, <laughs> on, in the parks, in front of our own sanctuary, in Washington, D.C., laying out and down, laying in, in the sanctuary of the Congress. That's what we've been doing. We used to have a Bible class of two or three people. Now we have, in the middle, every Sunday, with different people leading us, guiding us, sharing each other's reflections on the Bible and how they touch us, and Zooming nationally. I don't know if you knew that, but we have Bible studies Zooming. We have learned how to identify racism and races, and we've become a multicultural community, and now we're fighting anti-racism because we know, together, we have to tackle this issue. We have moved from responding to disasters with mission trips to gut houses, to not only gutting houses, but rebuilding infrastructure and supporting mental health for those who really have suffered more than they need to. We've moved from two or three small groups to over a dozen. Check out the bulletin. There is something for everyone, everything you might have interest in, from queer black men, to yoga, to learning how to speak Spanish. <laughs> so, take a look. To those of you who are members, longtime members, uh, maybe you should reassess whether your mojo needs a tune-up. <laughs> maybe you need to get re-engaged, Tom. <laughs> he was waving, he was waving. <laughs> and for those of you who have been dating us, why don't you come on up to the pulpit after worship and talk to Amanda or Vanessa or Monique about getting hooked up? For yourself and for us, we need each other. We need to be connected to exchange how we're feeling, what concerns us, how we can support each other. It still brings tears to my eyes whenever I read our mission statement, our vision. Do you know where it is? It's printed in our bulletin every single Sunday. It's our work, it's our guidepost. It speaks to who we need to be. You are salt and light. 
and we have a guidepost, a mission to follow. The ushers are going to come in a minute. Please be generous so that we can continue this work. We would love it if you would become a recurring contributor because that way we can plan better. It doesn't matter how much it is. It'll be consistent and we'll, we can trust that it will be there. You can just take it from your checking account or your credit card. And you can also use your phone. You can text money. Please help us. Thank you.
ever-loving God. First, we want to thank you for the safe return of Reverend Jackie and Reverend John. And then we want to thank you for all those gathered here and online to worship you, to give praise to you, to thank you for the many blessings of the week, despite the discouragement of the week. We thank you for this offering. May we use it in a way that will bring your world, your heaven, your world and heaven on this earth. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You join us for the closing hymn, my friends. Lift every voice. Lift every voice.
song just make you want to shout just a little bit? Beautiful poetry. Choir, thank you so much for this beautiful music. Thank you, band. You're so amazing. Thank you, John Del Cueto. <laughs> and thank you, Vanessa, for that fire, honey. That was fire. Fire. Woo. Hallelujah. Jeff and Pete, you are required in a meeting. Okay. <laughs> I was told to let you know. Um, listen, guys. Where else in the world can the multicultural, multiracial church celebrate blackness like we celebrate black? I, I'm kind of moved by that. I'm really moved by that. Um, it just makes me so happy to think about what goes in the world from this community that we, you know, somos immigrantes, somos, all of us, somos black, somos white. We are Asian. We are all the things, all the things. We are all the things, thanks be to God. So when we move in the world, let's move as though we are, in fact, able to make an economic resurrection happen. Because we can. And let, us, and let us move in the world buoyed by the Spirit of God as wind beneath our wings. Because she got it, okay? Bless you. Amen. Come to class. <laughs>